Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. <clears throat> we'll continue this evening with our discussion of the Paramatma Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're on the 102nd Anucheda, titled The Paramatma Creates for the Sake of His Devotee. This and two additional Anuchetas will wrap up Srila Jiva Goswami's drawing from the response by Sukadev Goswami to Maharaj Parikshit, wherein Maharaj Parikshit was questioning Sukadev as to apparent partiality on the part of the Lord uh, when he comes and performs Leela, and how is that possible? Because we know that's not the character of the Supreme Absolute Truth, that he's actually equally disposed, Sama, to everyone. He's the friend of everyone, and he's the dearmost of everyone. So, by bringing out three, these three characteristics of the Supreme Lord, Maharaj Parikshit is, is framing his question. These are characteristics we know the Lord possesses. He seems to contradict these characteristics that everybody knows the nature of God. So, if we know the nature of God and we know these were his characteristics then could you please explain to me the apparent contradictions to those characteristics that the Supreme Lord possesses when the Supreme Lord comes and acts pastimes within the material manifestation, when he descends as an avatar. His avataric descents appear to contradict this equanimity, this equal equals friendliness and this dearness to every living entity. How could you explain this to could you explain this to me? Sukadev Goswami has did answer those questions, po, that question posed by Maharaj Parikshit at the very beginning of the seventh canto, drawing from that discourse between Maharaj Parikshit and Sukadev Goswami, Jiva Goswami has developed more deeply an understanding of the overall purpose of the material creation in general. Now, in this Anucheta, he's broadening the scope of that response by quoting the following verse by Sukadev. And he's broadening the scope to include not only the fact that the Lord's descent during the manifestation of the material universe or universes, unlimited universes, not only his descent during the, the sustenance of the universe when the universe is up and running and full of people. So when the universe is up and running and full of living entities, the Lord descends. But he's now Jiva by he draws drawing from Sukadev Goswami's responses to Maharaj Pariksit, he's expanding. Well actually it's not only during 
the sustenance of the universe that the Lord's primary focus is on the devotees. It's also when he manifests the universe at the beginning and when he wraps it up at the end. So the whole involvement of the Lord's external energy from initial, he agitates the equilibrium of the gunas with time. And from that agitation, first of all, there's this evolution of the Mahatattva from the from the Pradhan state of equilibrium, it's it's agitated, and from that agitation, there's all these evolutes start, and from those evolutes we have elements, and from those elements we have a, a, a coalescing of those elements, and those elements become universes, and in the universes are in, injected the Jivatma, the the Tatasta Shakti. So into this Baharanga Shakti, we have the infusion of the Tatasta Shakti and they just flow from the pores of the Karnadakshai Vishnu. So there's the creation and then there's the duration of the universes and then there's the annihilation of the universe. After Brahma's hundred years, hundred years, each year, 365 day, days, so, and each day, a thousand yuga cycles, and each yuga cycle broken down into seven, uh, 71 yuga cycles, which constitute one manvantara, which is a, the reign of one manu for 71 yuga cycles. And we're in Kali Yuga, and Kali Yuga is, uh, what are we, 400 and some odd thousand years, four, 432,000 and then if you multiply that by 10, because they double up from Kali to, you know, Dwarpa to Treta to Satya, you add all those together, you come up with 10, so it's 10 times 432,000, so you've got 4 million years in one, one cycle of the four Yugas, 4 million, and then you have a thousand cycles of those four yugas in one day. And then you have 365 days in a year, 30 days in, a, in his month, a hundred years. It's a long, long time. And then it's all wrapped up again. All this sustenance, creation, dissolution, we're now tying that all back to one intent, one intent of the Supreme, simply to facilitate the further spiritual advancement of the devotees, who in the last creation did not finish the course of their devotional advancement to absolute Praying or loving loving relationship with the Lord. So the verse quoted in this 102nd Anacheta we read before, we'll repeat the verse and then go to where we left off in the last class. When the Supreme Self desires to create bodies for himself, then from out of the elite 
equilibrated state of the three gunas, he separately brings forth rajas by his maya potency. When Aswara wishes to sport in these manifold forms, he manifests sattva, and when on the verge of going to sleep, he impels Thomas. Sukadev Goswami is saying here, when he wants to create the manifestation, it's primarily through Rajagun. When he maintains, it's primarily through Sattvagun. And when he wraps it up, it's primarily through Tamagun. Now, drawing from this verse, Sukadev Goswami is explaining this in the terms of his discussion as representative. He's further tying it all together. And what he's tying it together with is a logical approach, extrapolation. If the, pur- if the purpose of the maintenance of the universe is for the welfare of the devotees, then the purpose of the creation and the dis- dissolution by extrapolation, the Sanskrit term, is atidesh, atidesha, has to be the same. So that's the underlying logic of this Anucheta in general. So we'll continue. Thereafter, when Parameshwar desires to sport in the manifold bodies of the practicing devotees, which are characterized by diverse qualities with corresponding devotional resolve, Mati, then he, or time in the case of the alternative explanation, manifests sattva. Sattva, of course, is for maintenance of the universe. And Vishnu represents, the, is the demigod. He's, not a, he's the manifestation of the, of, the, of the guna of sattva, or maintenance. Now, when it says his, or time, in the case of the alternate explanation, remember in our last discussion that jiva provides both explanations for time. We can look at time as being that vol- volative, volitional energy of the Supreme Lord, Chesta, or we can look at time as another evolute of the Mahatattva in the material manifestation. If it would be looked at in the secondary terms in relation to the gunas, or not the gunas, but the, the material manifestation, if it was be looked at in that way, being the impelling agent, it would be nibbita. Then again, when he desires to sleep, being joined together with them, he, or time, impels Thomas. Thus, all of his acts whatsoever, such as creation, are propagated only for the sake of his devotees. This is Jiva's profound conclusion. Jiva continues. Thus, I'm sorry, this has been accepted by Sridhar Swami. Also, in his commentary on the third chapter of the 11th canto, and then he quotes from Sridhar's commentary there, for what purpose did he create? 
The verse answers, Swamatri Atma Prasidaye for the complete fulfillment of the individual self who worships him. The compound Swamatri is explained as follows. Swa means himself and Matri being derived from the verb Ma means to know completely or to worship. So the compound refers to one who worships him. The word Atma refers to the individual self or Jiva. The Prasiddhaya Prasidaye means for the complete fulfillment of the self who is so inclined. Bhavartha Dipika, which is the name for Sridhar Swami's commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam. So Jiva feels he's in good company here. His conclusion is, is well supported because it's also supported by Sridhar Swami, the great commentator on the Srimad Bhagavatam. Jiva continues, Paramatma sleep, referred to here, sometimes means yoga nidra, or the yogic sleep of supraconscious being, or the purusha avatar in the causal ocean of dissolution, and sometimes it means entering into Bhagavan. Although the Paramishwara is situated in all jivas as the indwelling witness and regulator, antaryami, Yet, because he is not attached to them, he is indeed as good as not situated there at all. Such is not the case with his devotees. The fact that Paramatma is sitting in the hearts of every living entity, Jiva says, well, he might as well not be there at all. Because he's just witnessing. I guess you could say he's waiting. So we'll see how he substantiates this comment further on as we read. Such is not the case with his devotees. So with the devotees, he's not just indifferently observing. There's a different something else going on there. However, because he is attached to them, moreover, it is not his desire that is instrumental in the matter of his attachment or non-attachment to different jivas. It is not his desire. Interesting comment. That is instrumental. Ye yata mam prapajante. The Lord is simply a desire tree. All of them as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. So, it's an interesting point, isn't it? That he doesn't develop a desire until there is desire from the other side. Until, that, uh, until there is some desire from the other side, he's neutral. He's sitting in the heart of every living entity, simply observing, and because they're not taking advantage of him who is with them at every moment, wishing to exchange with the living entity, have some relationship with them. Since they're indifferent, he acts as if indifferent. When they show some deference, when they hear, and by hearing, some little spark of interest grows, some bhakti, some seed of bhakti is planted, and 
there is some intent on their part to proceed in developing a relationship, then, then, he, then all of a sudden it's like, I'll create a universe. If you don't finish this time, I'll create a whole universe. I mean, this is how powerful bhakti is. Just a little bhakti. Because as pointed out in the last Anucheda, what was the position? This The creation is only for the sadikas. It's not for the per- perfected devotees. It's for the devotees that didn't finish the course of devotional devotion to the point of absolute surrender. It's the semi-surrendered devotees that bring about the creation of the material manifestation. The sadikas. To look at it from Rupa Goswami's viewpoint is expressed in the Bhakti Rasabrita Sindhu, there are three general classifications. Well, actually at the beginning he breaks it down into two, but because, because of the way it's presented in the Bhagavatam, he separates it into three. There's the sadikas, devotional service in practice, and there's the siddhas. But, but, but because one of the goals of the sadika is to attain the stage of bhava, because bhava is the opening ray, that ray, that, that infusion of such an amount of bhakti that, that now something's really going on, then it's all perfection from that point, bhava and praying. But because it's a goal that it's separated into its own thing. So you have devotional service in practice, devotional service in ecstasy, and devotional service in pure love of God. Sadhana bhakti, bhava bhakti, and prema bhakti. So the sadhikas, the sadhikas are, are just the, the neophytes. The neophytes bring on the universe. That's really what Jiva Goswami is presenting here. So he's not instrumental. Well, then he, who is? If the Lord isn't instrumental, let's play Jiva's game. Let's put forth an objection or a serious question. Well, if God isn't instrumental in the matter of his attachment, who is? Who's instrumental in in, in putting forth an attachment that would bring about a reciprocation with the Supreme Lord? Yes, bhakti. And bhakti is primarily coming through the agency of the bhakta. And the bhakta is... Well, we say planting the seed. Some look at it differently, but ontologically, there is no swarup shakti inherent in the jiva shakti. So, yes. Then what is the ananda? What's what ananda? Well, the in what is inherent in the jiva is Satchitananda. Mm-hmm. So if the, if the ananda is not 
It's part of the jiva shakti. It's an inherent quality of the jiva as presented earlier in this very sandarbha. Those 19 intrinsic characteristics, one of it was inherently blissful. Why? Because it has consciousness. And that consciousness, although it's it's a minute particle of consciousness, being a minute spiritual particle of the Supreme Lord, it has its own minute portion of Ananda. So when you look at a Sukadev, a Jivan Mukta like a Sukadev, or the Kamaras before they before they had their interaction in Vaikuntha with the Supreme Lord and smelled the Tulsi on his feet and were overcome with their first whiff of Prem Bhakti, before that they were liberated. They were in a state of in, internal Satchitananda because that's that's an inherent quality in the jiva. But there was no Swarup Shakti present there. There's no Prem present there. Not that aspect of the Sarup Shakti. The Sarup Shakti has unlimited potencies. It's not just Prem. Prem's just one. And Prem, when manifested in the Jiva, is just a portion of, of a threefold general breakdown that we could say constitutes the Sarup Shakti. Sandini, Samvit, and Ladini. And then if you take the Hladini Shakti, there's the internal Hladini which satisfies the Lord like his Atma, Atmananda, his own blissfulness. And then there's that blissfulness when he exchanges with, with, with other manifestations of, him, of his very self. Either in Parsada, or we would say his Swarup uh, manifestations or, or here again, when, when there's Sarup Shakti that comes, Ladini Shakti, that portion of Ladini that comes into the, into the Jiva. His desire that is instrumental in the matter of attachment or non-attachment to the different Jivas. So he truly is equally disposed, except when there's that spark of, of Bhakti. And hence, the explanation given above carries more weight. As it is said in the Gita, and then he quotes two verses from the Gita, which completely confirm what he just said. First he quotes from the ninth chapter of the Gita, two verses. All beings are in me, Krishna says, but I am not situated in them. At the same time, all beings are not situated in me. Behold my yogic power. So that indifference Krishna speaks of in the Bhagavad Gita. But also in the Gita, further in the ninth chapter, he says further, but they who worship me with devotion are in me, and I am also in them. It is also stated in Hari Bhakti Sudadaya, the peaceful heart of my devotees is my real beloved abode. Where I reside along with Lakshmi, the glories of that abode are as described in Vaikuntha. One thing to draw from the commentary of Sachin Das that I thought you'd find interesting. So again, it is not his desire 
that is primary in bringing forth the creation, but the desire of the practicing devotees to perfect their service to him. This adds more weight to the argument that the creation is enacted simply for their sake. It also fortifies the principles discussed earlier that Bhagavan is impartial to living beings, just like a wish-fulfilling tree. Continuing to the 103rd Anucheta, Bhagavan protects his devotees and kills the Asuras. In this way, Jiva continues, after describing the creation and desolation as a subsidiary topic, Sukha concludes the main theme of his discourse by again explaining cosmic sustenance in one and a half verses. We go on to the 11th verse of the 7th canto. O ruler of men, Sukadeva says, the supreme eminent regulator, who, whose actions are true, manifests time, which was proceeding in unison with Prakriti and Purusha as their support. O king, that which is known as time apparently fosters the armies of the gods, who are predominated by sattva, and apparently destroys the Asuras, the enemies of the gods, who are predominated by Rajas and Thomas. Consequently, time's controller Paramatma too, who is dear to the Asuras and whose fame is greatly expansive, also apparently fosters the Asuras and destroys the Asuras. Apparently fosters. So Jiva gives us in this Anucheta his explanation of this verse by Srila Sukadeva Goswami. One whose actions are true, Satyakrit, means that while he himself is the manifester of actions that are true from the highest level of reality through the play of his intrinsic potency alone, he reveals time in the form of his own volitional act. So Jiva keeps coming back to this volitional act, time being that that if you're going to look to anything that the Lord, how he stimulates and how he carries forth, Jiva really kind of, he says it's, it's through this agency of time that everything's coming about. So if we're going to look to any volition on the part of the Lord in relationship to the material manifestation, we can look at this time element. Now remember, the Lord is, he's never subject to the influence of his external potency. He's actually, he doesn't come under the influence. But that doesn't he mean that he doesn't exert some influence himself. And if he does, he never becomes wrapped up in the results of that influence. He's truly free of it. He doesn't come under the modes of material nature at any time. This material nature is working under my direction, he says to Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, creating all the everyone and destroying them. In what manner of action was time engaged? 
it was proceeding in unison with Pradhan and Purusha, meaning that it was in progression along with the unmanifest Prakriti of Yakta and the aggregate of Jivas that are to be brought forth. It was doing so only to assist the practicing devotees, sadikas. He makes the point again here. Who are related to Prakriti and Purusha and to provide support for those portions of his own potency that had been infused in the devas. Remember, he's, he's in, infused the devas in order to work on his behalf and also engage in Leela. Therefore, it is only through its proximity to them that time is said to be the support of those states of both Prakriti and Purusha and the cause of their manifestation. The import of the invocation, O ruler of men, Naradev, is that just as a king performs a major task by his own exertion as a consequence of which other smaller tasks are automatically completed, so too the same is applied here. Let's say the king goes and says, I'm making a tour of, the, of my country. Now, in making a tour of his country, while well, everybody's, the king's coming, and he's, he's, we're actually on his agenda. We are actually part of his upcoming tour. So, he's going to be coming to our town. What happens when we hear the king is coming? Everything gets cleaned up. <laughs> Everything gets cleaned up. The roads get fixed. The broken lights are repaired. Everything, every, every, every home in the town is cleansed and the, the gardens are refreshed and the, everything is looked after because the king is coming. It's a consequential additional task that's accomplished, like providing bodies for the living entities and providing, I mean, everything else is, is, is simply, simply a, a side benefit, the material manifestation, to that main objective, which is providing through Prakriti providing by the Purusha manifestations of the Supreme through Prakriti, the material energy, the Bahiranga Shakti, the opportunity to perfect Bhakti, to advance. That advancement for the Sadakas is the primary objective and everything else is a consequence Thus, this factor of time, which is in the form of Bhagavan's volitional act, Chesterupa, apparently fosters the armies of the gods who are predominated by sattva. In the same manner, it apparently destroys the asuras, the enemies of the gods, who are predominated by Rajas and Thomas. But Bhagavan personally protects 
those who are devotees among the Suras and slays the enemies of the devotees among the Asuras. This was discussed earlier. And it's interesting, he says the way he words it here, the Suras, he protects the devotees among the Suras is the primary objective. Those, because primarily the the demigods do have some Krishna consciousness. Now, although we sometimes look at the position of the demigods as, well, if they came to the position of a demigod, they must have had some strong material desire to be a controller. That's okay. A karma sarva karma va moksa karma udara di. If you have such a desire, well, it'd be nice if you didn't. It would be nice if simply from hearing from advanced devotees, you could immediately, spontaneously develop complete detachment and your devotion be come up to the stage of a, a haitaki, a pratiyata, completely unmotivated, uninterrupted, absolute devotion. But our material conditioning sometimes runs deep. Sometimes coming to such a platform of devotion can take some time. Sometimes in the course of aspiring for something material, we're blessed with bhakti. But that blessing that we receive from bhakti through the agency of the bhakta, it may bring us to the pure state of appreciating bhakti, but the Lord is so kind that he also fulfills that initial desire. Now he speaks to this in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, we can basically break it into four types of living entities, develop some desire for me, and therefore they seek out religious or devotional activity. Those that are distressed, in the height of their distress, even in a foxhole, the saying is there's no atheist, so you scream out, God, please help me. You may not even believe in God, but when the bullets are flying your way, that belief, (laughs) that resistance to a God who you see as a factor that interferes with your exploitation of the world, well, you see that your world is about to come to an end and you'll take help from any quarter to preserve yourself. So those that are in distress, those that are desirous of material acquisition, well, simply they say what those that are in need of money or want of money or karma goes beyond just money, material desire. Those that are uh, inquisitive. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Is there a God? If there is a God, where is he? I can't see him. Can you show me God? So we become a little inquisitive. And of course, those that have knowledge. There is a God and I should worship him because nothing else makes sense. If you look at, if I've, I've observed everything that around me in my environment and I can't explain things unless I put God in the equation. 
So they, they come to a realization. There has to be a God. So they're called knowledgeable. They recognize has to be. When we look to the suras, as opposed to the who are primarily conducted under the mode of goodness, you have to have some goodness in your heart to take on the position of a demigod because you're, you're, you yourself are a mini desire tree. There's demigods in charge of everything, fulfilling every, making everything work with all these unlimited living entities giving them the power to see. You know, we, we hear of the major, the super, uh, super duper demigods, the Chandras, the Indras, the Vayus, the Agnis, you know, earth, water, fire, air. But there's millions of demigods who are in charge of all kinds of things. I'm sure the administration there is quite complex, but the complexity is lessened to a great degree by the yogic powers that these personalities have. The yogic cities, they know a lot. I don't know how it works, but I'm sure that it's, it's, it's a lot more sophisticated than the college and university and <laughs> systems that we have to educate people. Let's take, for example, back to the what we were speaking of, how did they get there? Well, they may have had a material desire. They may have had the material desire. They may have been in distress, and that started it. And, of course, their material desires are there. And I always thought this in relationship to the story of Dhruva Maharaj. I mean, here's Dhruva Maharaj. And what happens? He wanted a kingdom. I want a kingdom. Teach me. I'm, I want it. I'm not going to. Narda, just settle down. Go play in this. Go play. It's fine. You're a young boy. Worry about a kingdom when you're when you when you're a little older. I'm not worrying. I'm a, so his Kshatriya nature took over, and he said, Narda, no way. I want to know now. I want to do this now because I've been insulted. So. Certain people, when they get insulted, they'll do anything to, to counter the insult. So that was Dhruva Maharaj's, even at the young age, his intent. Imagine, so much determination. So he had the determinations, and finally, you know the story, and along comes the Supreme Lord, manifest before Dhruva, what do you want? Oh, I thought I wanted a kingdom, but wow. And he fell in love with, with Krishna then and there on the spot. And I was looking for, you know, broken pieces of glass. And now I, I see, just seeing your form, it's like unlimited gemstones. I care for nothing material. Okay, fine. Then you can have bhakti, it's fine. If you want me, you can have me. Before that, according to this, Anacheta, Lord's indifferent, but as soon as bhakti comes, some turning towards the Lord, the Lord reciprocates accordingly. But what happened to Dhruva? He went back to the kingdom. He was received like a king. He took over. Not for 
a small amount of time. I believe it was 33,000 years. A long, long time. He had to put in his king. Why? Because he wanted to be a king. And then what was he done? He was put in a position in the material universe on the, on, the, on the topmost planet in the universe as its ruler. The Lord simultaneously fulfilled his material desire and granted his spiritual aspiration in bhakti. When we talk about this particular line here, protect those who are devotees among the suras, there's a lot of devotees among the godly people and the demigods because they may still have some aspiration and they may even be at a stage of bhakti that's extremely advanced, but that aspiration, the Lord still fulfills that. And that nurtures their bhakti even more. Again, not all devotees are enthused in the same way. So you could have a, it's not that you will be enthused in the same way as a demigod. That you have to go to the heavenly planets and play among the stars of the universe for a while uh, before your bhakti completely matures. Some, de some devotees, their bhakti matures in that environment. Some other devotees, their bhakti matures in the same way as Queen Kunti. Please, I remember you best. My best remembrance of you always happens when everything's coming against me. Now, sometimes we think this would nurture our bhakti and Krishna knows that will nurture our bhakti. It makes it rough sometimes for the sadhika because God knows best. And we think we know best. Best in those circumstances, you just throw up your arms and say, okay, what else can I do? Thank you so much for your association.